Well, hello everyone. Saul here uh, from the Jitsi project. Today we have a special one for you. It's uh, Jitsi's 20 year anniversary. And uh, today I have with me Emil above the original founder of the project. Welcome Emil. It's great to uh, have this conversation with you. So it's going to be a great trip down memory lane. I surely hope so. Uh, today we have, we'd like to share three stories with you through things we've learned and how they have accompanied us along this journey. Uh, we're going to talk about our relationship with open source, our relationship with open standards, and our relationship with money um, amongst across all of the all of the lifetime of Jitsi. And yeah, and 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 I'm sorry to to jump in. I I, I think the reason why we want to do that is because um, you know um, our we live short lives, like we don't have time to learn everything by ourselves. And uh, we think we have learned some things during these past 20 years as we were working on Jitsi. And we'd love to share that, you know, uh, hopefully people would find that useful in their own journeys and um, um, uh, they would have an easier time of it that way. Indeed. Um, so first, just let's uh, try to rewind time and think in what world um, Jitsi was sort of came into existence was 2002, 2003. We didn't really have, we had no YouTube, no Facebook, no Gmail. Um, you know, the, the standard resolution was 1024 by 768. So no HD sort of fancy things for many people. And it was a world where the instant messaging choices were pretty, pretty limited. You got like MSN. I'm, I think, and I'm not sure exactly. Skype was around the corner or already there. And there was definitely a lot happening in the open source, open standards world as well. IRC was there, Jabber at the time, later XMPP. And this was how the universe was at that time. And at that point, a young Emil working on his PhD started Jitsi. How did that happen? Yeah, um, so, you know, um, I think the primary reason it happened was uh, passion and interest and, and the desire to just go and walk a journey. Um, that has to probably precede everything. I, 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 I think you, um, you, you've had that yearning yourself. You were the author of an open source project yourself. You just felt like... I don't see of all the paths available to me. I don't see one that actually fits what I want to do. I just want to go, you know, trace my own route and see where it takes us. I think uh, you and I share a lot there. What's interesting is, you know, why exactly do, what, what did our starting position look like? And why did we find ourselves there? I like your description of how the world was 20 years ago. One thing that we should also mention is that computing power was very far away from where it is today. And it was specifically um, quite insufficient for uh, the way in order to handle any, you know, the, the, the amount of video uh, volume that we need in order to have a decent conversation. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, just gen generic CPUs were not capable of doing that. Uh, they weren't even capable of properly doing audio. It was the same even uh, in, in earlier times with the same with uh, the actual internet uh, network international circuitry um, that was available for us to transport audio. Although by the 2000s, the internet was about good enough 
to, to do decent audio. So, so let's look at the situation um, where we found ourselves. One, one of the things that we both shared is that we were very early attracted to open standards. And it's interesting, you know, why, why would we land there? Why is this, uh, why would this appear as the obvious starting position for both of us? I believe the answer has to do with that limited CPU. Uh, and it, um, what, what it meant was that, um, you know, a lot of the real-time communications issues had to be solved uh, by dedicated products. Specifically, uh, audio and video processing had to be done in dedicated circuitry. You had to build cards that were able to process audio and video, which is a very, very heavy lift to do. And that meant that people who concentrate on doing one of these things, they could only do these things. Uh, people who were doing uh, then video servers, the internet wasn't powerful enough for the video routing technologies that we have. And they um, could then therefore only do video service. That was, that was, they had to focus. There was so much work to do there and there's a limit to how much work we can take on ourselves. Um, that you, you know, you gotta, you gotta make choices at a certain point. So you ended up, with these dedicated phone builders and dedicated server builders. And then finally, there wasn't a lot of pre-existing work on the topic that you couldn't really stand on the shoulder of, di of giants because these giants hadn't lived yet. So uh, you couldn't incorporate a bunch of libraries in, into what you were building. They didn't exist. So again, we're in this situation where everyone had to focus on their one thing. If this was going to work, we had to pick our roles well. And so if that is going to be the case, though, then we have to make sure that we all agree on how we're going to talk to each other. And this is why I believe in real-time communication 20 years ago, standards were paramount because that was the only way the thing could work. Now, some companies might have been able to get away without that. You know, companies, I'm talking like the really big players uh, of the time. There was Cisco, back then there was Abaya and a few others. And, you know, they they had full solutions. It's, you know, um, it wasn't sufficient because some of their customers, you know, they wanted to facilitate um, acquisition of new customers, which meant that if they had someone working with partial Avaya stuff, uh, they, they could come in and sell them Cisco for the other part of their network and start there and hope to win them over completely with time. So even for the big players, standardization was kind of important. But for the small players, it was a matter of life and death. It was a matter of survival. So for, for people like us, adopting open standards was really the only way to be. And if there were no open standards, that meant we couldn't be in there, in that space. I think this is one of the interesting, this led to one of the interesting uh, connotations of open standards back then. Open standards became synonymous with this, they, 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 it, it kind of, they kind of acquired this moral ring to them. And, and open standards meant good, proprietary protocols yes. started meaning evil, kind of, uh, which, which I think is, is interesting. Uh, I don't believe that that's the situation that we're in today. What do you think about no, that? Uh, definitely not. But but I think I think you're right. In in the past, so at the time, for example, uh, what we what is kind of the the uh, lingua franca of VoIP today, which is SIP, the the second version actually was was being written. Uh, I believe it's from 2002. 
or division of one. So at that point, it was all kind of in the air and Cisco had uh, skinny or SCCTP uh, protocol and whatnot. And it ended up, you know, they ended up abandoning it and, and going for the open standards. But I remember- They were actually one of the bigger proponents of SIP, yeah. indeed. Um, but I remember yeah. way back when it was either use the standard thing or there was this other thing, but then you could only use these devices. And yep. then the others, you had to like scrap them or something. So there was indeed some some cost also associated with it. Um, like from my personal perspective, I think I landed there kind of by accident. Um, I just didn't know any better, I think. I like, what are the rules? And then it's like, ah, oh, this book is the rules. All right. Then right. Uh, let's see where it takes us. And, and it was the, the only way you could play yeah. You could play the game, yeah. And then the other situation, the other, uh, the other place where we kind of made ended up the same, uh, in, in the same location was that was what was our relationship to open source. Now, I, I the, the the situation there is is a little bit different. Uh, you could, it was possible for you to write proprietary, right? But then it, it's not like the CPUs don't support that, like it was the case with video. You you could write things yourself. Um, but then it meant uh, going down, um, you know, a, a, a path that is much more lonely. Um, it, it, it meant that, well, if it's going to be proprietary, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to find users to it? I'll probably have to sell it. If I'm going to have to sell it, then it, had to, it has to uphold a certain, um, you, you know, uh, satisfy a certain number of constraints, which really means I need money and a team, which means that I'm probably going to have to uh, go and build a company. There were a lot of steps uh, because the way that you used to make money back then and, and, and do proprietary things was you sell copies of the, of, of your software and, and the code um, that you give out essentially is is the product. Um, open source, I think what we what we both got attracted by, you you tell us for for yourself, but personally what attracted me was the low barrier of entry. You 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 just go in and you start. And then if someone wants to work with you, they just come in and start. They just send you the code. There was like the, a maximum amount of friction removed from collaboration. Um, so that was amazing. Now, I don't know um, entirely why, but Open Source 2 had a very moral ring to it. And, and it was similar. If you're doing open source for many people, you're being good. If you're not doing open source, you are sinning somehow, you know, and there were different levels of sin. Right. You know, people would tell you that, ah, it's okay to use an occasional proprietary program. That's fine. Uh, as long as you're creating something in open source. And then certain people would tell you, no, everything has to be open source. Uh, it's starting from, uh, you, you know, not only the stuff that you write, but also the, the 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 apps that you use in the operating system that you use. So we we had this entire you know a panoply of, um, of 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 adoption of the concept. But the concept was there: open source good, closed source evil, uh, just to more or less. Uh, yeah. Does that resonate with you too? Is that did you experience that? It, it does. It does resonate a lot. Even though I, I started from a different angle, like I think. So of course, way back when, a lot younger, and uh, I kind of like to be a bit of a contrarian, I think. Um, and the norm back then, like unlike right now, where you you would kind of have to justify yourself for doing something proprietary, it seems these days everything is open source. Um, uh, but 
way back when it wasn't. So doing open source was the contrarian uh, part, let's say. So I, I like that that attitude that kind of like was the rebels that worked in open source and the you know the more bigger established evil players were were doing uh, uh, the regular of, of sort of software development. That is that is true. And, and there's something and you know something inherent to youth that you know the attitude comes with youth. You're kind of given this world that is already pre-established and it has a bunch of rules in it, as as, as you alluded to. And some rules you can choose to follow uh, because they make sense to you. And and some rules just appear like this huge hindrance that you don't want to go through and open source was uh, there was a lot of that for me as well i remember when i was doing my um at the time when i decided that i wanted to be an open source was a time when i was doing a uh, an internship in a very big company at the time and and um i was doing that internship and i was looking at what i was doing which was which was an interesting project but it was nowhere near finding itself in the hands of users and it, i don't think it ever did it was just a research thing that a bunch of people did and i was thinking okay if i want my work to actually matter uh to be a significant project what are all the steps that i have to go through in this company you know uh in this cubicle that i'm in um <laughs> That, that in order for this to happen and i was realizing it'll probably mean at least 10 years um today it's faster actually for various reasons but back then it meant at least 10 years of you know uh quote unquote making coffee and and um or the equivalent of making coffee just doing boring tedious tasks before i potentially find myself in a situation where i'm uh, able to impact my destiny that was really unappealing and then at the same time there was this possibility of just going and do it, whatever you want to do. Um, now, if you were going to do whatever you were going to do, you do have to answer one question. What are you going to eat in the meantime? And uh, we were young back then. We didn't have a lot of responsibilities. It's, we didn't have children to worry about and uh, family tables to put bread on. Um, so we had less of, of, of a problem in that regard, but there was a problem nonetheless, which takes us to our you know final axis that we will be pursuing here, our relationship to money. So um, for me, that relationship started with, uh, you know, I was just a student. I did um, started, I was actually still in my master's uh, when, when I started Jitsi. Um, so my parents were still helping. Uh, I had a, um, you know, um, a, some sort of a uh, a little bit of money coming through in the form of a scholarship uh and then when i did enter my phd there was a contract uh it was contract funded so some amount of money enough to keep me in life was was coming in and i was able to do that although it it became um more complicated when we started to grow so as jitsi was born which was 2003 it was called sip communicator back then um I, I clearly remember this moment when I came back from a, from a Christmas vacation once and I did a CVS update because back then there was no Git. CVS. Uh, yeah, CVS. <laughs> then we had to go through subversion and only then we arrived at Git. But I did a CVS update after coming back from vacation and it struck me that I didn't know why I was doing that because it was only me working on the project. And what am I going to find that the project wrote itself while I, while I wasn't there? And this thought was also you know only slightly amusing but mostly it was depressing because i thought um this isn't going to go far if i'm the only one that's working on it so um 
you know, because back then, even when there were contributions, they were just occasional. And still, it was me that had to do the work of actually emergency. Exactly. So um, it became very important to me at that point that, um, well, there has to be a team of people working on this. If this entire effort um, is, is to mean anything. And the interesting thing is that, you know, it wasn't exactly clear to me what it was supposed to mean. It wasn't exactly, I didn't have, uh, uh, you know, a very clear, exact, precise vision of where the product had to land. I just knew that I wanted it to be something meaningful. And I kind of expected that, hey, we'll figure that out along the way as we go, which is kind of different from the startup vision, right? Because the startup vision is you are expected to provide yeah. an answer to exactly how you are going to change the world. Now, I'm not um, throwing stones at any of those of these approaches. I think sometimes people do have a vision and it is easy. It is good to support such visions, but I don't think that... Um, that is the only way we can and we even we do arrive at, at solutions. I, I'm also a big fan of the idea that of incrementally building and just looking around you and, and seeing what's necessary, paying attention to the problems that people have and just ever always adapt um, and, and, and try to, to provide better solutions to, to people's problems. So I, I, subconsciously, I think that's where um, my, my mind was heading. But so again, that meant that we had to we, we had to form a team of people who were working on this. Now, it, this started with, um, Jana was the first person to join that team. Um, so she, she too was uh, an, an engineer at the University of, of Strasbourg. Uh, and she too started contributing some of her time to this. Um, and then um, we really had to find money in order to allow for more people to be full, full time on it. So our initial approach to money was through public funding. And public funding uh, meant um, funding from university. There were these local funds in Strasbourg in France that were helping early startups. And um, we went and applied and, and we had a couple of grants that helped us, that, that helped, that helped us get started. Um, so this is it. This is our situation at the beginning of the project. We were fiercely pro-open standards. We were fiercely pro-open source. Uh, and we rely on public funding as a means to start. It's a pretty idealistic path that you ended up in, don't you think? The start was was yeah. was filled with ideals. Uh, I don't know that that's even avoidable. No, and the, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look, if you look at how the world is today, you would argue that what you did was uh, a boring, bootstrapped business, right? You started yeah. scratching this itch and slowly. Just no super grand vision, just going for the next step and then the next step and then the next step is, well, I need someone to do some UI, so I'll hire someone. Well, we need to pay them, so uh, let's find some money there. And sort that's, of like that, or organically uh, growing. That's, that's, that's exactly it. So now, even though we, we had a little bit of money uh, to, to get started, it wasn't enough to keep us going uh for forever uh so um, um we had to start finding real customers now i really love how things turned out for us uh because what we ended up doing as a business model is something that, that people often do in the open source world we were providing engineering services around the gt project so you come in 
You see that it does 90% of what you want it to do, and you want it to be tweaked in a certain way. You want uh, extra configuration options or new features in order for it to um, to suit your needs. And by you, in this case, I mean usually it's some voice service provider, someone selling you know telephony solutions to people uh, or messaging solutions to people, and they want to have their own client in order to best deliver the user experience that suits them. And we feel uh, and 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 you know. Uh, starting with uh, an open source project that's almost there and then tweaking it a certain way is a good way to solve your problem. Um, definitely. It, it definitely was back then. I think ever since the world has moved to a more efficient way, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but that was the way that it was supposed to be done yep. uh, back then. Today, people do that with APIs, essentially chaining APIs on top of each other and, and all that sort of stuff. So... Um, that's what we were giving customers. What customers were giving us, and, and I think this is where my relationship to money um, started changing. So there was this ring to money in the open source world in our communities that, uh, you know, the suspiciousness of money. Everyone was acknowledging, hey, we need to put bread on the table. But at the same time, you know, too much money was always viewed suspiciously as something that would corrupt you, that... Um, that is not illegitimate. You know, focusing on every single, no, any single metric at any point corrupts you because it makes you blind to the rest of the world and you're only looking at one thing. And it's very easy to only look at money because uh, it just enables you to do so many other things, yeah. having money, that it's, yeah. it's very easy to think, well, I'm just going to focus on getting as much money as I can and I'm going to worry about everything else later. And then later you realize that, uh, oh, I've actually put myself on paths where it's even impossible to... To not to, to get out of. However, the positive side of, of working with actual real customer money was that um, that really changed the accent um, of, of what we were doing. So to give you an example, the way that public funding works is that you know you have um, some institution somewhere that allocates a certain amount of money for a certain topic that resonates with them. Now, why that resonates with them is is different, but it usually some sort of political reasons. You know, it's these people were usually elected, uh, and their um, voters expect them to kind of direct channel money into specific topics. You know, and and it might be communication, it might be environment, or or whatever. Now, what this doesn't really um, address, especially in our case, is that you know. It kind of says we want work to be put in that way, in that direction. It doesn't say we want these specific problems solved. And by specific, I mean really specific. It, we, I mean, this person gets up every day and tries to do a task, and that task takes them 10 hours. It should start taking them 10 minutes because other people are uh, waiting, and and, and it's, it, we, we just need these things to happen faster, or, or all these sort of things. That focus... Um, you know, that, that difference in focus was, was very palpable um, between public funding and, and, um, and, 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 and contracts that you get from customers. Another difference is that it, when, you, when you work with a public entity, what you deliver to them is not even the product. What you deliver to them is a report, a description that, right. that, that has to describe and kind of prove that what you did matches the original intention. Um, so there was a lot of um, I, I don't want to minimize it, but it wasn't, again, um, let me put it this way. We've had customers who come to us and they ask us to solve a problem uh, and, you know, send 
let's say, handle voicemail a certain way or something like that. And, and then we start working on it. And then we realize that it's not going to work that way and that customers weren't needing exactly that. So we're going to change mid-course and go and solve it a different way. And maybe we started with DTMF control, but it actually had to be with voice commands or with specific buttons. And it keeps changing. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. Did we make the situation better for someone who is a customer of our customer? In, in funding, that, that is a bad thing. When you're doing public funding, what is perceived as good as you did what you said you would do. And it, didn't, it doesn't really matter what you learned along the way. Uh, if you just said, well, we actually decided to do a completely different thing, that, that is a very bad thing in public funding, which is completely understandable. We don't want you to take everyone's money and run away with it and, and not do what you said you would do. But, but it does create this tension. It's like, look, I thought this was going to be the right thing to do. And as I started doing it, I realized that it wasn't. How am I going to convince you? You cannot just keep having committees reapproving the product. Right? It's, it's an impossible right. bureaucracy to, to navigate. So we just end up trying to present things in the light that they were meant. It's not a, it's not a great process to be in. Also, I have a little uh, story in the, in, the, in the topic of public funding as well uh, with a segue into open standards, actually. Yeah. Remember, uh, it was in Germany. And we had received some some public money for a project that was around you know real time communication stuff mm -hmm. and and we had a little presentation to sort of show indeed like a report we've been working on these technologies blah 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 but the night before the iPhone four launched and there is this famous slide with where Steve Jobs is doing this and here it shows the technologies that FaceTime has it was like SDP H two sixty four AC codecs RTP. And then uh, we just replaced our presentation with that slide. What have you been working on? This thing, all of them, except you know, uh, connected with open standards instead of in FaceTime. And that was all they needed to hear. Right. <laughs> like, all right, great, great job, moving on. Yeah, and, and you know, um, it makes sense for them to do that because you know, um, the people in these institutions, they wanna make sure that we, you know, uh, we abide by certain moral rules and whatnot. But again, what you lose completely is the place where the rubber hits the road. And at the end of the day, does that make anyone's life somewhat easier? That connection is lost in, in, in public funding. I'm not saying this with denigration for, for public funding. I do think it is completely um, required for many things. But over-reliance on, on, on that is um, uh, can be bad, just as over-reliance on on, on, on VC yeah. money can lock people into these burnout startup efforts. Um, you know, truth is truth is out there. The truth is out there in, in, in the middle. So there we are. Uh, that was our, uh, I think, our first transition, just realizing that at the end of the day, money wasn't simply a tool that can corrupt, which it can, but it was also a tool to confirm value. You know, I like uh, how the um, evolutionary psychologists or our biologists refer to to these things called Zahavian signals. And these are um, essentially the difference. Imagine the difference between um, me telling you that something is important to me, this is important to me, or me telling you that something important is important to me and proving it in a very costly way to me. Which of the two has a higher likelihood of being a knownest signal? Uh, obviously the one that was costly to me uh, is, is, is like, I, I wouldn't engage in it if I didn't really mean it. Uh, so. Uh, all sorts of animals do that in their, uh, in, in, it's part of sexual selection. Um, and I think it also matters in, in interactions between companies. It's, um, you know, 
where when, when you're dealing with with public funding you're always in the sphere of saying what you what is what is supposed to be important for you but it's not always clear that you really mean it and there's a lot of abuse of public fund for, for that reason yeah. where on the other hand if you're putting your money where your mouth is then that at least uh you know has the advantage the merit of being completely honest if if, if, you're, if you're willing to put it then then and i know you mean it at least to some to some degree so that was a good lesson i think yeah i mean absolutely now fast forward in a few years um suddenly there was a pivot in the industry i guess where um we shifted away from having everything done in the like a lot of done in the client side um so in this you know a piece of software we run in our computers to the browser because WebRTC happened and around that time as well as it's made another transition uh in how the project was run there was indeed a big shift and it was a, a tremendous shift and um this this takes us to i think uh one of the the main lessons that we've learned from these three stories uh, and, and let me let me take you a little bit back um jitsi started as a sip soft phone it was built for audio video calls it then morphed into a messenger that almost didn't even have uh, its, um, its 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 audio video functionality um but we kind of moved into this combined meta messenger concept we completely almost completely rewrote everything then uh, our focus to uh sip audio and video came back so we we reintegrated the code that that we had in the beginning uh it was still mostly sip then we went in you know uh, focused on um, supporting audio video for jabber because we felt that that was the a, a good way to provide a, a fully functional uh communicator we started thinking more at that point by the way not um not about playing a role defined by standards but really solving um people's issues so uh, we started uh you know thinking about xmpp hey this is a good way to actually provide the the proper audio video communicator to to people. Um, then we thought, well, um, just a communicator isn't enough, uh, and and people need things like conferencing functionality, and they cannot always rely on their server. Uh, that's one of the problems with standardization that you can be talking to all sorts of different servers, different components that have different functionality, and you have to handle these differences. The way we thought we would handle the need for conferencing and it not being available in every for, for every person was well we're just going to implement conferencing in the client and we started by implementing audio conferencing and we started by making that more interactive then we thought oh well audio conferencing is not enough let's make sure that we also add video again so the client became this conferencing server for audio and video uh, which is one of the reasons why we immediately went to video routing rather than video mixing because you can't mix on a on the client's computer uh, but you could route video, uh, and and that looked that looked pretty good. Then we thought, well, actually, um, clients, even though they're capable of routing video, are not necessarily your connections, internet connections that are capable of, of routing video. And even if they are, um, you you cannot have one user carry all the responsibility of the entire conference because they might just want to leave the call at some point. So we thought, let's just take all that functionality and put it in the server. 
Um, and that's how Jitsi Video Bridge was born. It was code from Jitsi. Some of the lines of code were from the very first Jitsi, but now it became this, this server product. Then came the shift that you're talking about, WebRTC, and which was such a tremendous change in our industry. But what, what, what it allowed oh, yeah. us to do is to completely get rid of the client-side code that was written in, in, in Java, which had its own challenges, and to replace it with JavaScript. So we uh, the Jitsi core continued to live in the server, uh, but now it had this complete new front end. And now here's a very interesting piece. When we did that, it was the first step of our new building in which we were no longer one player playing a specific role in the entire communication solution. We were now the entire communication solution. And this is a change that happened thanks to WebRTC. So let's talk a little bit about that. WebRTC, most people know the story, um, was essentially a group of technologies that Google acquired over time and then open sourced and it made available to everyone. Now, I think that the way that <coughs> this really changed the industry was that, remember how we talked about everyone played their standard defined role and that's how we're all able to collaborate. This now changed with, you know, we're going to start giving you the libraries that would make playing any specific role much easier than it was before. So if you now want to be a provider that provides the service, the, the servers, the, the clients, and the service itself, it is now way easier to do that because any one of these components now is much easier to build. And part of that was CPUs are faster, so we could just do these things on generic hardware. But also, you now have these giants that have, that have given us access to things like WebRTC so we can incorporate them and, and, and really build uh, holistic solutions uh, as opposed to being cornered in a, in, a, in a single role. I think that was really the main, the main change of the industry because, because having the standards means that you kind of put yourself in this corner where... You, 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 not only you're playing a specific role, that's not the only problem with standards. The second problem, which is potentially even bigger with standards, is that you're all playing a specific game. Uh, you know, you are doing a telephone networking solution that kind of does the same things as a telephone network. Sure. You know, it's you, you, it, 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 SIP wasn't built for notaries to sign doc, to notarize documents for you over a web page. It wasn't built for people to play yeah. Dungeons and Dragons together. It wasn't, you could use it for these things, but that's not why it was invented. Uh, and uh, with this new approach where, look, we're going to let you define the game that you want to play, and we're going to give you all the building blocks so that you could build it, so that you can define whatever game you need. This is what WebRTC did for telecommunications. And it's actually what the web did for everything. Right, it's you can you can have, yeah. find similar trends in absolutely every every business and in, in, in every industry. I think one of the more important things from that, from the kind of technical perspective, was that it is really really hard to have a good media engine built from scratch. Yeah, um, and WebRTC gave it to us. It had like state of the art echo canceling, and we didn't even have to work for it. Uh, it just comes exactly. from the browser, and with a new update, it just gets better. And building on top of it, it really, for instance, it, it did level the playing field. So you could, everybody was building on top of this and there was no, oh, that zip client is proprietary, but it has access to that proprietary echo canceller. That's so good. No, here is everybody's playing by the same, uh, by those same rules. 
and it's a great building block. So I remember when we when we just stopped worrying about that that media part, and it's like ah. So now it all just works. <laughs> so now we can all focus on actually solving yeah. user problems uh, yep. and, and not simply technological problems. So, um, so, so, so this was, this was quite, uh, quite the experience for us as well. And then uh, around that time, we also got acquired as GT uh, uh, by Atlassian. It was uh, in 2015, which I think coincides uh, uh, with really the time when companies moved to the cloud. Amazon started existing around 2008, but but really the cloud, the massive migration to cloud was somewhere in the mid 2015s uh, where every company just figured out, no, that's that's how we gotta be. Now this is this leads us to our learnings about open source because I think that massively changed the game about open source. With the cloud, uh, game came a certain amount of, of flexibility. Now, right, you you, um, I don't need you to pay me money if I'm writing if I'm writing software. I don't need you to pay me money that would kind of pay for the entire development of the product that I'm giving you, right? Because remember, we're talking about binaries. I'm giving you the thing, and I want you to give me the money that pays for this entire thing, or, or at least the compound earnings pay for this entire thing. That's no longer necessary because I don't need to install a bunch of servers. Now I can go and on demand get things from the cloud when I need them which means that I'm more flexible, which means that I can give you more flexibility, uh, which is why a, a lot of the, the uh, you know, move started happening to, uh, to subscriptions. Uh, so, you know, you want to be a customer this month and not the next one? No problem. We, yeah. we can do that. Um, now, this move and this incorporated flexibility now, now changed the, the, the relationship to the actual code that the companies had to the actual code. Remember how companies like Microsoft had this very hostile relationship to open source. And uh, uh, Google back in the day were, you know, very unique for, for fostering open source, probably because they kind of were already living the first days of the cloud. Um, when you are in the cloud, the money is no longer being given for the code. It is now being given for the service, which means that the obsession of who gets their hands on the product and, and, and the code became, um, it, it disappeared. Um, and I've seen this a lot with, with companies. The more a company has been uh, dealing with selling licenses in the past, the more it has um, it, it, it had a hard time of, of embracing open source. Any company that is cloud native realizes completely that keeping your code private is just an expense that takes effort and it doesn't really give you anything. Um, it, 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 that's no longer a thing that's worth protecting, uh, that much. It, in fact, it's much better for you to just not spend the cost on keeping it secure and put it out there and potentially get a, a feedback, uh, for it. Yeah. It's not guaranteed to happen. Sometimes we oversell the open source story. It says like, we could just put code out there and people come in and, and contribute. That doesn't happen in order for people to do that. It has to solve a problem for them. Yeah. Uh, and, well, and, and not effort needs to be spent in, in in fostering the contributions and taking them over the finish line but it happens i would say this you know, is say. this is the lesser thing the first thing that has to be true is that if you want people to come and help you the whole thing has to be helping them right? yeah they, of course. Need, they 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 need to to find your thing useful which means like think about what we've done with jitsi um we've always um, um made sure that jitsi in itself is a solution to a problem 
not just a piece of another bigger thing, which is what many companies mm -hmm. do. Now, you know, some companies would only open source their API to a proprietary system. The incentive right. for someone to come and collaborate with that is much lower because they don't have the system that this fronts. You know, they might be a developer that uses it. They might throw in some sort of a trivial bug fix, but they're not going to come in and add functionality uh, around that. Yeah. If, if you want someone to do that, they have to feel that they're adding functionality to their, to their own thing as well, right? So that's, I think, a, a main difference, like a main requirement for open source projects. Uh, just for any successful product, it has to solve people problems if you want yep. people to put their time and effort in it. So that um, uh, a change with, with, with open source was, was um, you know, um, pretty, pretty key. Um, when I think about this, I think that another key element of, of this entire thing is that um, of, of the way that open source changed was um, I think people sometimes don't give enough credit, other than the hardcore open source idealists, I think people in the proprietary world and the today's business world don't give enough credit to people like Richard Stallman for what, for what they did and how much they helped, including business. Now, uh, one of the key contributions that Richard Stallman did, I think, was that uh, when he insisted that um, you know, every project ships out with a specific license, you know, most people focused on the fact that you know he was promoting the GNU licenses, yeah. um, but 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 what they didn't really realize is that with that came the notion that everything has to have a license, nice. even if it's not the GNU one. Everything has to have a license, um, and I think we, uh, I, I I really believe that people like Richard Stallman and the ones that 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 established that notion, even though he meant it for a specific one, again. What ended up happening is that they everything uh, like licenses are kind of uh, expected and found in most projects, especially projects that, that matter. They're critical. In <clears throat> a couple of years ago, there was this thing with the React license that uh, there was a huge turnoff for the community, and they ended up having to, to change. So, uh, exactly. for many people, it, like the, a good license is critical. That, that, it, and the reason it's critical is because. Um, Remember, one of the main points of open source is that it facilitates collaboration. But in order for any collaboration to happen, it turns out, and I think that was proven here, was that, hey, we need to know upfront under what terms we're collaborating. I used to participate in, in European uh, commission projects, uh, and, and there were universities and private companies, big and small, participating in. And um, the, the way that... <laughs> These things got decided there. Uh, you know, a consortium would be formed and people would start negotiating about what is it that exactly that they'll do and under what terms would it be available to which partners. And those discussions were taking months before a single line of code was written. And at that point, uh, that was when I had my moment and I realized that um, the fact that you don't have to deal with that in open source, that going in, you already know uh, what the terms are going to be uh, is 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 so precious. It is uh, it is absolutely necessary. It actually having some terms matters way more than having any terms because if you don't have any terms now now you have you've opened room for argument and then people start getting yeah, hung yeah, up yeah. on the on, on the details and it actually turns out that it doesn't really matter because you choose as long as your licenses are within uh, yes. a, a set of, 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 of well known licenses. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, people actually don't really get hung up on the details. So I think that was a major uh, realization about open source as well. 
So I think that pretty much is our journey. Uh, and if I have to uh, go into conclude... that for the for the predictions, you know. So people usually expect from these from these talks is what's in the next twenty years. <laughs> and um, I I don't think I'm good at those. Um, yeah, me neither. And and, and <laughs> I, I I think there's obviously plenty of exciting stuff that will be happening. Um, what what I could say is that I believe the trend where um, we work together by stepping on each other's sh shoulders rather than on, on forming these consortiums, whether it's through standardization or through European projects or something like that. Uh, I think building on layers is going to be an approach that uh, that matters, uh, that, that works a lot better. Um, that's why we, when Jitsi, for example, decided that Jitsi, the open source project, is not only going to be a, a, a solution for having video conversations, but it's also first going to be an embeddable component that can be part of other solutions. And, and that's what our business is about, but it's also what the open source project is about now. It's an embeddable component that others can, uh, can step on. So um, I think that this enables tremendous innovation. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you, you liked this, this way of putting it the other day that um, we're now in a position where GT can be the perfect solution for your second most important feature. Like you yeah, can focus, you know, you can just the way that we take the media engine from WebRTC and then we focus on exactly the details of the video conferencing. Someone can take our video conferencing component and, you know, don't worry about these interactions and then focus on, you know, notarizing documents or playing Dungeons and Dragons and how exactly the, 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 the you know, the, the, the game uh, happens. Exactly. Right. Um, I think, uh, what this has enabled is an incredibly fast pace of innovation. Um, we're all aware of, 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 of the new technologies that are coming out with regard to machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, there's tremendous um, development there. And I don't intend to you know, uh, make any predictions about that. But what I will say is that we are very well prepared um, you know, to quickly build solutions that that embed such new technologies, and I'm very excited to see what it will be. Absolutely, I'd say that um, like without actually planning for it, as you said, there was no grand vision. The one thing, uh, and this is actually uh, how your path and my path kind of went parallel, is we worked on things to communicate with others, and that I don't know why, but that fills me with joy, sort of. And I, I like a lot, this path in the end, the only constant, it doesn't matter you build a desktop client, then you build a server, then you do a website for it because that's where the, where the path takes you. But in the end, it's about making a tool to communicate people. So we don't know what's gonna happen uh, five, 10, 20 years from now, but it's probably gonna revolve around communicating people. At least of that, I'm, I'm pretty sure. That I, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think that communication is is key uh, to our progress as a society. I think I'm actually very happy that more and more communication is happening, even though some people perceive that as polarization. I actually believe that, um, no, it's just that more people are being able to voice their opinions. And, um, and, and ultimately, that's good, even if sometimes the friction might appear too hot. Um, so I, I completely agree with you there, knowing that what we're doing is helping people talk to each other is also something that gives me, um, you know, a deep sense of meaning. Um, so I guess we we do indeed run parallel on that one. Yeah, and let's hope that uh, these three stories, these three lessons, these three things that we learned across this journey will help others in their own journeys. 
that's the that's the best we can hope for. Until the next one. Bye, everyone.